Hello, Girlboss. This is your host, Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO here at Girlboss. We have an amazing guest today, prolific Emmy Award-nominated television writer and producer, Marty Noxon. Before we get into that, I want to tell you about a couple things. We have a fourth Girlboss rally coming to Brooklyn, New York, uh, November 17th and 18th. It's two days this time. And you can register now at girlbossrally.com and also... We announced we're launching a social network called Girlboss Collective, and you can request early access now at collective.girlboss.com. And remember, if you like what you hear on today's show, go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and tell a friend. We'll get to our chat with Marty Noxon in just a second, but first I'm going to talk just a little bit about HoneyBook. I remember when I was building Nasty Gal how difficult it was to manage all the paperwork, emails, and contracts that come with being a small business owner. And I was all on my own back then, which you may be, and that stuff ate up so many hours that could have been spent actually building the brand. And that's why today's entrepreneurs are so lucky, you know, in this new era, that HoneyBook exists. And with HoneyBook, you can spend more time doing what you love and less time doing what you don't. So whether you're working on paperwork, endless emails, dealing with payment collection, HoneyBook is a purpose-built business management platform for creative small businesses. They help photographers, designers, event professionals, and other solopreneurs save hundreds, if not thousands of hours per year by adding time-saving automation, yep, the future, (laughs) into their business. And HoneyBook makes it easy to streamline the client process so you never miss a thing. I've been poking around HoneyBook lately because I do a little bit of consulting and it's been so cool and helpful and the ability to drop contracts and help you get e-signatures is incredibly valuable and and when you create a payment contract all you have to do is fill in the blank with your rates, company name, etc. You send it to your client to e-sign and then you're done which saves you a lot of out-of-pocket costs and time. So that's why for a limited time, Girlboss Radio listeners can get 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with promo code GIRLBOSS. HoneyBook membership includes unlimited access to all features at one low monthly price. So go to HoneyBook.com and use promo code GIRLBOSS to get started. Again, that's HoneyBook.com, promo code GIRLBOSS. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Marty Noxon is an Emmy-nominated writer and producer. Marty started her career in Hollywood as an assistant and served in that role for over seven years before she sold her first script. And I went from you know, do you want fries with that to having my first like drive on to a studio lot, which was, you know, it was amazing. But it was also like that thing everybody talks about. I had been writing and studying and taking classes and, you know, get, and reading lots of scripts so that, that when that moment happened, you know, there was a lot of serendipity in it, but it was also like I was ready. Her career was worth the wait, though, because she has gone on to write and produce some of the best shows of all time. 
I grew up in Los Angeles and I would sneak on to lots, literally. Like I worked at McDonald's across the street from CBS Radford. And one time I just walked on in my uniform and nobody stopped me. So I kind of like knew that it was a thing. So I knew that it was a job. It just seemed kind of impossibly romantic to think that I could actually get that job. Over the course of her impressive career, Marty has worked on beloved and critically acclaimed series such as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which you may have watched back in the day, Mad Men, Grey's Anatomy, Brothers and Sisters, and Glee. With hundreds of hours of television under her belt, she is one of the most prolific writer-producers in television today. Because creating is scary, you know, and putting yourself in something, you know, so emotionally, and then having people like, you know, it would be like if someone saw your kid and they're like, I have notes. She currently has several television series on the air, including the critically acclaimed HBO's Sharp Objects and other shows in her repertoire include Bravo's Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, Lifetime's Unreal, and Code Black for CBS. Today, Marty's here to share her tips for how to break into television, writing and producing, how things are changing for women in Hollywood, and the importance of creating flawed, complex female characters. Now let's get to it. Here's my chat with Emmy-nominated writer and producer, Marty Noxon. What was your first job? Oh my gosh, out of college, my very first job in the business, I was a waitress. You know, That's a first job. Yeah, um, I was a waitress kind of on and off through college and then was waiting um, tables at a place called the Omelet Parlor in Santa Monica that's not there anymore. And one night was at a bar down the street called the Ore House <laughs> and um, and met a guy who was like, do you want to do product placement? Are you at all interested in that? And I didn't even know that was a thing um, in movies. Um, and uh, And of course, you know, he also arranged to meet me for the meeting about it at a restaurant and then asked me if I wanted to go to a hotel after. And it was really funny because I was like, no. And it all kind of deflated. And then he was like, I kind of still need someone to take the job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least it worked out even though you said no. Yeah, he wasn't the kind of, thank God, he wasn't the kind of guy to like press that. It was more just like, oh, you know, like he thought there was an understanding. And I was like, just because we met. Yeah, this this is like a trade. Like, no, the trade is that you pay me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, the job was reading scripts. And then finding opportunities to put products that they represented in the scripts. Mm -hmm. And um, I later found out because the money at at this place was totally larcenous. And it turned out that I was on the books as two people, as like my boss and my assistant. And I was only getting paid for the assistant part of the job. So they were laundering money? Oh, totally. And when we got caught, this is a true story. They hired a bunch of extras to come in to the office and play the employees they had on the books who weren't actually there. And I had I got a call from my supervisor who was like, tomorrow there's going to be a guy there and you need to wear a dress because you're going to be his secretary and you have to act like you don't do the job. And, you know, I was just out of college, so I was like, oh, okay. You know? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Did you study uh, writing in, in college? I went to UC Santa Cruz and I knew that I kind of wanted to do something in the industry, but 
you know, they didn't even have a film major. Um, so I studied theater and did some writing, but I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I first got out of school. But your dad was a filmmaker. He was a documentary filmmaker? Yeah, he worked for National Geographic for kind of my whole life. How and has that influenced you? I mean, I, I always joke that I, you know, I didn't go with him very often when he was filming, but, but I definitely got an impression of what he did, which was a lot of like waiting for animals to do stuff. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I liked the the glamour of the the part of it where you film stuff and, you know, you sort of shaped a narrative and he wrote this beautiful narration for everything he did. And, but I, I think I, I fell in love with theater in school. And so, and I was an actor, I started, you know, doing that. And, and, so the idea of like having to wait for natural things to occur was not on, you know, was not on my to do list. I, I wanted to actually manipulate reality. So I think I was exposed to the business, but I was very outside it. Like the documentary world is totally separate from the scripted world. And so there was no kind of entree for me. My dad didn't want me to go into, you know, my family didn't think that was a real job. So how did you get into writing? Yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I would sneak on to um, lots, literally. Like, I worked at McDonald's across the street from CBS Radford, and one time I just walked on in my uniform, and nobody stopped me. So I kind of, like, knew that it was a thing. Um, Did you sneak into a writer's room? Um, no, no. I mean, I was on set, and I saw the scripts, and, I, um, and of course, I'd done plays, so I knew that it was a job. It just seemed kind of impossibly, you know, romantic to think that I could actually get that job. But when I got out of school, you know, Santa Cruz didn't really have any alumni, like there really wasn't anything to do except, you know, pursue becoming an assistant. You know, I was I read scripts and did coverage. And I, I did everything I could to get, kind of get close to the industry. And then my big break was I was waitressing again. And a regular customer and I started chatting and I said, well, how is it? And he was like, oh, the burger's really good. And I'm like, no, how is the script you're reading? And we started having this conversation and he said, you know, you're not just a waitress. And I was like, no, I'm trying to be a writer. And, you know, and I'd been writing scripts on my own with no real success. And he said, why didn't, you know, the show I'm working on is set in a restaurant. Why didn't you come and pitch me ideas? And I didn't sell any of those ideas, but he also was looking for an assistant. And I went from, you know, do you want fries with that to <laughs> having my first like drive on to a studio lot, which was, you know, it was amazing. But it was also like that thing everybody talks about. I had been writing and studying and taking classes and, you know, get in reading lots of scripts and educating yourself. Yeah. So that that when that moment happened, you know, there was a lot of serendipity in it, but it was also like I was ready. Marty was an assistant before she was a full-time writer for seven years. Being an assistant is a great way into writing, but it's not always a clear short path. She revealed her trajectory from assistant to writer and what that really looks like. You know, I worked for that director for a long time, and I did sell a script to the show. It was called Life Goes On, um, and it was a family show. And I did sell one script and kind of thought that that would also be it. Like, wrote a script, got my first credit, but my agents, you know, sent me on tons of meetings, and I had a, I got an agent off that, and and nothing happened, you know. And I, I think that I, I hadn't yet made a lot of leaps, like a, a leap in confidence, a, a leap in voice. You know, there was a lot of things that I hadn't done yet. And 
you know, I just kept being an assistant. And at a certain point I, I said to him and he'd sort of said, like, you seem really like you're just doing the bare minimum because I'd been there for three years. And I told him, you know, I think I need to work for a, a writer and I think I need to work for a woman. And somebody told me that Barbara Hall, who's, you know, been doing this for, I think, God, 30 years now. But at the time she was working on Northern Exposure, was looking for an assistant. And I gave her a call and we had a meeting and then I started working for her. So but that was, you know, again, years of doing that job and, you know, learning and and writing and failing and writing and failing. <laughs> At what point did you become, you know, Marty Knoxon? At what point did you start like, you know, like move into the, you know, the beginnings really of the place you are today? What Was there a big break? Oh, there was a huge break, which was, you know, two things. I'd always been, you know, a little reluctant to use my contacts. And I started to realize that that was a little naive that, you know, I needed to try to get a better agent and, um, and because of my relationship with Barbara, this much better agency started to rep me. They read me. And, um, you know, and there was an agent at that um, agency that, you know, really went to bat for me. And, and that's how I got read at Buffy. For our listeners who don't understand what the process of writing a show is like, Marty shared what it's like to manage so many different voices and executives. It's such a delicate balance, and I've learned so much over the years because, you know, I was in this little kind of safe enclave at Buffy where we were we were a you know sleeper hit. We were kind of allowed to do what we wanted to do. I always had, you know, the Joss card, you know, when I ended up, you know, co-running that with him toward the end of the run. You know, if, if Joss didn't want to do something, they usually didn't push it, you know, unless we were just you know, blazingly going against standards and practices. So my relationship with my executives and all that stuff was, you know, was really pleasant. And I, I felt like after I left that show, I was thrown out of a car at like 80 miles an hour because, you know, I hadn't really learned about compromise or diplomacy or, um, and and what I did at first was I completely overcorrected where where I just tried to please everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your voice is lost. Yeah, right? what voice? There's no voice when you're just, you know. I, I did the first show I got on the air after um, after Buffy was something I'd kind of backed into. And the process is basically, usually it's for me now, you know, I find an area, I I, I, I find a, a either a piece of material that I think is great for television or I have an idea that I think is strong I write the script, you know, we have to go in and usually I write it before I pitch, then you go in and you, then you pitch the whole series. And, you know, after if it sells and you get, you know, a green light, then you amass a room full of writers. And, and there's a, a whole diplomacy to that, too. You are a manager. You're the funny part about being a showrunner is it's really different than being a writer in a writer's room where the diplomacy is about your relationship with the other writers and your relationship with the people in charge. But when you're actually running it, you know, you are a manager. You're managing a lot of personalities, a lot of creative people, all in the pursuit of getting the story on the page and figuring out how to best tell that story over however many episodes you have. And that's a skill in itself. But then on top of it, every, you know, usually you have to pitch the, you know, 
the whole season before you start writing. So you bring the executives usually come to where all those notes are and boards are up and and you pitch the whole thing and it's a big song and dance. So you do that first. Then you So you have like a pitch deck, yeah? yeah. And then you have a pilot script. Yeah. And then a bunch of boards too? Well, that's after you've sold it. Like okay. on top of like doing that in 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 the room while you're trying to sell it. Then, you know, you sit down and really flesh that out and then you have to repitch the whole season and then you get notes and thoughts and then you go to outline and you get notes and thoughts and then you go to script and you get notes and thoughts and then you, you know, so at every single juncture, you're having creative, you know, every creative instinct, you know, second guessed, <laughs> um, not every, but, you know, um, and it's funny because people will think because I've done this for so long and had, you know, a, a good measure of success now that that doesn't happen to me. And you're just like, it, it never stops. You know, what are some tips for being diplomatic when people tell you things that you don't agree with, but you still want to maintain a relationship yeah. with them and politely say no yeah or maybe find some compromise what's a good way to navigate that well I think I've I've gotten a pretty good reputation um, in general for you know being receptive during those calls and and rarely saying like in the moment like I hate that like I'm not mm -hmm, doing that mm -hmm. you know um, and mostly I mean I think they can tell the difference between when I'm like, oh, that's a good thought. Like, I really like that. And then, then there's the, you know, I need to think about that. And, and and the truth is I do think about it. You know, I think that is the part that might make me different than some other people is that I genuinely do want to stay open to things I haven't thought about. So I think that trying to stay open creatively is really hard, especially when you're scared. Because creating is scary, mm -hmm. you know, and putting yourself in something, you know, so emotionally and then having people like, you know, it would be like if someone saw your kid and they're like, I have notes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you need to change the hair. Yeah, I have thoughts about, you, you know, know. Wipe their seen, mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, you're very protective of this thing. But I think that there's a really diplomatic way to just say like, you know, and even to say like, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time hearing that, but I'm going to think about it. Yeah. Um, and, and the real way you gain trust is you actually do think about it. And then if you don't want to do something, you come back and you say, look, this is really important to me and here's why. Um, so it's all about like trying to keep your coal under fire. And people respect you for that. You I think know? they do. Yeah. I think they do. And I, I mean, there's there are times, you know, I've also been on shows that were really full of you know, animosity and, and the creative process for, for, say, another person in that in that team was about arguing and I have a much harder time with that. Like I'm, you know, I, I, I can't hear real well when people are just like, you're wrong or that's bad. Mm -hmm. So it also depends on the relationship. Like sometimes you do have to stand up to people and just be like, Hey, you know, you can't talk to me that way and I'm not going to do that. Totally. Um, but I've, I've mostly been lucky to not have those relationships. Marty was a writer on Buffy the Vampire Slayer for six years. She told me what that experience was like. It was terrifying. It was super fun. It was like the most fun I've ever had. And I was also scared every day that I was going to lose that job. You know, I was I'd gone from not really being excited even about the meeting for the job to then watching the first season because I came in after season one to feeling like, wow, we're doing something incredibly unique and and this opportunity is so rare. So it was, you know, it was stressful all the time. Um, I was sweating all the time, but I also, you know, was so lucky to have a boss in, in Joss Whedon who 
really respected, you know, my point of view and, and, you know, welcomed me in, in a way that, that taught me a lot of confidence. I, I learned a ton on that show. I learned a lot of like basics about writing and writing for television that I hadn't been exposed to yet. And, you know, it was a cultural moment. So it was pretty exciting, you know, but I had no real primer yet for like the business of the business. When did you know it was time to move on? Well, we decided the two, uh, I mean, it wasn't, it was really his decision, but I certainly endorsed it, that we were kind of out of vampire stories, <laughs> you know, um, I, we ended the show before the um, network asked us to, we, we kind of just got fatigued um, and a different team, I consulted on Angel, but a different team sort of stayed on and did that oh, show. Yeah, and Angel. then Joss went to do Firefly. And I knew at that point that if I stayed in the Joss camp, I would never test whether I had the right stuff. And I, I was really afraid of how, how unsure I was if I actually had, you know, my own creative voice. So. Yeah, and so looking at something that's really been, I guess, is such an important kind of start of your career, something that you become known for. What was it like moving on from Buffy and what did you do next? I did uh, a show that never aired. Like it was it was it was a it was like a failure sandwich. Like I did three shows in a row that just everything didn't go my way. I did the show called Still Life that was supposed to be like the party of five to the OC, which had just started. And, um, you know, the big boss wasn't really paying attention. And when he finally watched it, he was like, this is sad. I don't want to put this on TV because it was about a family dealing with grief. You know, they just shut us down. Um, and then um, I went on and, and rewrote a script that already existed. And then they offered me the showrunning job. And I, I, again, kind of didn't know that I should, you know, I, I definitely weighed it, but I, I still sort of thought I should say yes, because I was on a deal with Fox. And um, I really didn't know what the show was. And that was called Point Pleasant. And it did get on the air. And it was, um, it was just kind of a hot mess from a creative point of view, because you know, I didn't write it. It wasn't my idea. It was about, you know, the, like, what if the the child from The Omen was a girl and she came of age, you know? But it was, like, also supposed to be, like, a beachside town, so she was in a bikini a lot. and Kind of like The Affair, but not... Yeah, really I mean, both meets. The Daughter of the Devil. Um, and I and I literally would get, like, calls from the executive saying, like, because Desperate Housewives hit that year like it this could also be a lot like Desperate Housewives and I'd be like yes because I didn't know um so we really struggled and we got canceled after eight and then I went to ABC and helped launch Brothers and Sisters but got fired you know, like quit fired before it even went to air why because I I was trying to run the show but not and in that that's one of the places I look back and I go wow I just really wasn't empowered to run the show you know um there was a playwright who had created it and I was supposed to be the showrunner helping him um mm. but when we started to have conflict because you know um he'd never done television before and literally would you write knew more than your boss I did and I and I knew that like writing two-page monologues you know mohawks of dialogue were not going to fly on television <laughs> things like that and um it took I think they had three or four other showrunners before he finally left but I was the first casualty We'll have more with Marty in just a second, but first let's talk about ShipStation. When you're selling online, you know getting your orders out the door quickly can be 
tough. And that's why we use ShipStation.com here at Girlboss for all of our shipping needs. It's fast and easy to manage and ship your orders all from one place. And with ShipStation, we ship more in less time with the best rates available. So whether you're using Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, or have built your own website, you can use ShipStation to bring all your orders into one simple interface. And it's not just that. You can use over 75 other popular selling channels. And ShipStation makes it easy to manage from any device, even from your phone. And then you can use ShipStation to create shipping labels for all the top carriers, including UPS, FedEx, and USPS. So right now, try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use my promo code GIRLBOSS. Don't wait, go to ShipStation.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GirlBoss. That's ShipStation.com, enter GirlBoss. ShipStation, make ship happen. We have so much more with Marty coming up, but first, let's talk about ZipRecruiter. We hire, we're hiring, we're growing. You may be too. And ZipRecruiter is the place where that can be incredibly easy. And all you have to do is go to ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss. If you don't know what ZipRecruiter does, they send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. They have powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them, really match them to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And we all know that hiring quickly is a competitive advantage so you can build your business faster and compete. We use ZipRecruiter here at Girlboss and we love it. It's been so helpful in finding the incredible team that we've built here. And it's quick, it's easy, it's effective. And with results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, Girlboss Radio listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Girlboss. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Girlboss, G-I-R-L-B-O-S-S, ZipRecruiter.com slash Girlboss. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now let's get back to our interview with Marty Noxon. Marty has acted as a showrunner a few times in her career. Confused about what exactly that means? Check out her description of the gig. A showrunner means that you don't just write on the show. You're sort of responsible for production in general. Like the chief operating officer. You're the chief operating officer, which is also funny because you're in charge of the creative. So you're trying to do both. And there, it doesn't mean that you're, um, you know, you're doing all the hiring and firing, but you oversee all everything. So I think everyone kind of face plants at some point in their career. Yeah, and even after then. so much success, <laughs> like that's, yeah. I can, I consider my experience face planting at least. Yeah. But you know, we all have the opportunity to get up and keep going. Was there yeah. ever, cause I've experienced this, was there ever a point where you were like, oh my gosh, I had this like great run, but was that a fluke? Totally. Because am I, am I damaged goods because people have watched something not work out for me? How have you moved past that? Was it surprising when something finally broke for you again? You know, I think many creative people and and probably people in business in general, you know, but if you have an entrepreneurial spirit and and you're sort of putting yourself on the line over and over again, um, I think that the greatest moment you have is I'm not in charge of the results, is when you 
totally divest from what other people think. And and I think it was Point Pleasant when I started going to real therapy, you know, because it was crushing for me, the fact that um, that people would think that I didn't have it and that I was worried that I didn't have it, that, uh, you know, it was me and Joss that were the secret sauce. Um, and the really liberating, you know, sort of breakthrough I had was finally, finally starting to be like, I am not in charge of what happens to this. I am only in charge of of telling good stories. Mm-hmm. And the other part is I should never say yes to something that I don't understand. Um, and I know that I like to please people and I know that I am worried about, you know, not working. And I know that. It, but if I keep coming from this position of fear, I'm going to face plan all the time because the people that I admire there's a big part of them. All the writers that I love and all the creative, you know, heroes of mine have a quality of, I don't give a shit what you think of me. Mm-hmm. And I started acting that way long before I felt that way. Um, and it was truly the biggest breakthrough of my career. And things since then have been very different because I started writing from a place of, this is what I want to see on TV. And if you don't like it, it doesn't mean I'm not good at writing or you don't like me. It's just what I want to see. Speaking of finding inspiration, a quick little PSA courtesy of our friends at Toomey. We're launching a whole nother podcast with them called In Progress, An Imperfect Journey Navigated, where we'll be deep diving into the ups, downs, starts and stops of our careers with some of the best and brightest experts in their fields. We'll be taking a deep dive into productivity hacks, juggling relationships with our careers, how to cultivate more self-love amidst this whole whirlwind and just about everything in between. In other words, if you're a human person trying to carve out a path for yourself while still being a human person, you don't want to miss it. It's a special 10-episode series that's kicking off on September 28th, my mom's birthday. So hit that subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Marty bravely stood up for writer Cater Gordon after she made claims that her boss, Matthew Weiner, asked her to remove her clothes while working on Mad Men. Ew. She said the experience of supporting Gordon was terrifying. She talked about the experience of supporting Cater. Wow, that that's interesting because very few people ask about the experience of it. You know, it was to be to be perfectly honest, I had spoken to other people around the show and said, I wonder if stuff is going to come out because it was a environment where jokes and things like that were thrown around, quote unquote, jokes in an environment where we also didn't have any job security and were often told we weren't, you know, good enough at our jobs. But um, in the next breath, we were indispensable. So it was that kind of thing where you never felt secure. And, and you have to remember, we were on the hottest show on television. We were the white hot center. And and people like Cater had no sense of job security. This was her first big job. And she, you know, one of the jobs I had on a regular basis was talking to these young women about, like, you can leave. Like, you can leave if this is too much for you. If this, it felt like a kind of hazing. And then when you add a sexual component on top of it, even if it's quote unquote joking, you know, I know, for instance, that Cater brought up that particular instance because it was it was illegal what he said, you know. So I knew that it was more than likely that he said exactly what she reported and she was not the kind of person to to put this out there lightly. Um, and I knew that the atmosphere was one where pe- where the women in particular felt very insecure. 
um, and that that was part of the culture. But I I was tortured because you know I admire Matt. I I you know I struggled you know with whether to stay there or not because there was so much good that also you know you had to constantly like outweigh. But it was that thing of like this this you're working with someone who is so unregulated. And you don't know what to take seriously and what not to take seriously. So I felt after, I just felt like, look, she's hanging out there with her ass, you know, hanging out all by herself. And there's a lot of whispering about who has the stature to back her up, you know. And and on top of it, he started to attack her talent while he was doing a book tour. And that was the deciding moment. Publicly. Me. Oh, yeah. And I And I was like, you know what? He never attacked her talent ever um until you know he he was no longer interested in working with her so you know I waited all out and I kind of ultimately I was like what would I want to tell my kids I did you know and it was very detrimental to some of my relationships because you know we all run in the same circles but I didn't want to be the kind of person who talks about being brave in these circumstances and then be a fucking loser mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think one thing entertainment doesn't really get enough credit for is that when you let people enjoy an experience, when they you when you disarm them and they're laughing and delighted, you can kind of in the same way where I feed my dogs a you know pill with you know stuck inside cream cheese. Yes, exactly. You know, it can be an agent of change in yeah. a way that not nobody really talks about. Yeah. And I think that's probably the most subversive way of of you know of of making change because it's not overt and there's such a large scale you're able to do it on um and you can kind of like it's kind of the enzyme for the learnings in a way yeah um and so i just you know i think and it's also responsibility Mm -hmm. um what do you consider that responsibility i mean the the more i have um been given you know um, the opportunity to tell the kind of stories that I want to tell I mean if you look at Girlfriend's Guide and Unreal and Sharp Objects and Dietland um, I really feel a um, and to the bone you know I feel a really um, you know I feel it's a real privilege but also a responsibility to keep showing women in all of their colors and you know if anything I'm like hashtag women are human beings um, and that um, that you know we have an, the exact same range of experience and emotions that other people do we may not always you know they're just this whole idea of women protagonists I just want to keep um, promoting images of women that in ways that we don't usually see them and you know like putting a fat woman as the lead of a show as the number one on the call sheet who is going through an experience that turns her into a radical feminist I mean that was the the biggest statement you could make but I do feel that responsibility of like showing diversity showing all the colors of the human experience because that creates empathy and you know the more we're outside each other and we we make make assumptions about each other and particularly women I think the less human we are so to me it's all about creating like putting people inside other people's shoes just over and over and over again you worked on Sharp Objects, which yeah. is, you know, really exciting, relatively new show. Yeah, yeah. Um, why did you Why did you want to do that? Because I read that book and and I felt so much. Um, it was so cathartic 
for me. And I couldn't quite unpack why at first. I was like, why can't I let this book go? And I realized that there was something I so related to in taking damage and things that have been done to me and then turning it on myself. Mm-hmm. And that Camille, as this heroine who then goes on this journey to find out the truth and stop hurting herself, you know, I mean, that she doesn't know that's the journey she's going on, but she never backs off it. She never gives up. And once um, she's like close to the, you know, red hot center of the stuff that has hurt her so badly, she she actually excavates something, you know, and I think that there's something there's so much wish fulfillment in that for me that a woman can 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 go in search of the truth and realize that she's been doing something to her that she can stop. But also just the, 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 the exploration of female anger and violence that really there were, the catalyst was not men. This was something we have in our yeah, it's own not like, culture. I got cheated on, revenge. Right, right. This is something women have in their own culture, and we just don't show that enough. You know, we have our own culture of violence, and we have our own mothers who, you know, do stuff to us or do stuff to you know each other. Um, that is that is our own story. And again, it was just so refreshing to be like, oh, this is a, you know, this is a story that is not about you know, it's a it's not a revenge story. It's a it's a story about this three generations of women dealing with anger and violence. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was just one of those things that I just I, I thought there was something strangely feminist about just telling that story. Before Marty left, I asked her to share her most recent girl boss moment. I made an executive decision that my daughter and I had to go to Disneyland before she went back to school because, you know, for all the fucked up princess stuff, I'm still a huge Disney fan. I mean, hello. <laughs> if you haven't been back to Disneyland as an adult, you're oh my God. really missing it. No, I, 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 if I, in another life, I, I could become one of those tour guides, you know, with the jodhpurs and the... <laughs> wear the wear the pin. Yeah, the plaid <laughs> yeah. vest and everything. Like, I really, it's a deep, but it's also, you see the power of one person's imagination and what that spawned. You know, so it's always for me very affirming. Intellectual property creation. Fuck yeah, oh and also God. just you know, and and also you know, I mean, we we don't have to go into a whole you know deep deep dive about Disney, but there's something about that experience that I just I love it. So we went together, and you know, we kind of got bad news about the show at the very same time. Dietland, um, you know, uh, we got canceled after one season, and and. And I had this moment when I was there with my daughter and she sort of leaned over to me and just said, you know, that she loved me. And she's 14. So that's, a, you know, it's amazing that she's still saying that. And I was kind of like, I let that go. Like, this is the business. You know, it was an, it was not I didn't have to, like, punish myself for what I could have done differently. So I felt really proud of the fact that I I was actually able to be like. And I think this comes with age, too. Like, this is just another valley. I have so much more to be grateful for. Yeah, exactly. Just, and yeah. here I am. My family's healthy, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, to be able to put it in perspective yeah, yeah, and, totally. and be grateful for, um, you know, what did I, I, I think I bought a, a Halloween pumpkin with Mickey ears. That was awesome. <laughs> Happiest place on earth. And one other question I ask everybody that comes on Girl Boss Radio is, you know, one thing we're trying to explore here is this concept of success that has mm-hmm. really been determined for us by a different generation, mm-hmm. by a different gender. And, you know, it's something that doesn't just mean work and money. It can mean so many things. And it's individual to each of us. What does success mean to you? I define success right now as the fact that I get to tell stories and 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 
make a living at it, you know, and and the fact that for me, the other trappings of quote unquote success don't mean much, you know, um, that feels that feels successful to me that, you know, no, I, I really don't. I know that there's no there there in terms of getting more stuff or getting more acclaim that does not make people happy. What makes me happy is getting to tell these stories and, and yes, to have a happy family, you know, and to have survived divorce and, you know, to be able to come home at the end of the day and be like, you know, all is, all is well in this little fiefdom. Mm -hmm. And I got to, you know, I got to make shit up for a living. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Mic drop. Thank you so much for joining us today on Girlboss Radio. If you like what you heard, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, go to collective.girlboss.com to request early access to the best professional women's network in the country that's coming in the world that's coming later this year. And be sure to check out our mental health podcast, Jen Gotcha's Okay Sometimes, and look out for our newest podcast in partnership with Toomey. It's called In Progress. 